Well, hello and welcome to this extra guest episode from the Waffle Free Storytelling Podcast. It's Tina Constant here, and I am so happy to welcome David Muller, a South African storyteller who specializes in Herman Charles Bosman stories. Now, as always, for all of the waffle, including an interview with David and a few translations for anyone who can't speak Afrikaans, go and see the show notes or drop around www.tinaconstant.com. But right here, right now, drumroll please! I'd love to welcome David as he tells you the story of Willem Prinsloo's Peach Brandy. No! You don't get flowers in Groot Mariko. It's not a bad district for millies. And I once grew quite good onions in a small garden I made next to the dam. But what you can really call flowers are rare things here. Perhaps it's the heat or the drought. Yet... Whenever I talk about flowers, I think of Willem Prinsloo's farm on a Beaterskop, where the dance was. And I think of Fritz Pretorius sitting pale and sick by the roadside. And I think of the white rose that I wore in my hat jauntily. But most of all, I think of Grieta. If you walk over my farm to the Hoogte and look towards the northwest, you can see a Beaterskop behind the ridge of the Dwarsberger. People will tell you that there are ghosts on a Beaterskop and that it was once the home of witches. I can believe that. I was at a Beaterskop only once and that was many years ago. And I never went there again. Still, it wasn't the ghosts that kept me away. Nor was it the witches. Grieter Prinsloo was due back from the finishing school at Zierst, where she'd gone to learn English manners and dictation and other high-class subjects. Therefore, Willem Prinsloo, her father, arranged a big dance on his farm at the Bjaderskop to celebrate Grieta's return. I was invited to the party. So was Fritz Pretorius. So was every white person in the district from Dad to Putramutsa. What was more, practically everybody went. Of course, we were all somewhat nervous about meeting Grita. With all the superior things she had learnt at the finishing school, we wouldn't be able to talk to her in a chatty sort of way, just as though she were an ordinary boor girl. But what fetched us all to Beaterskop in the end was our knowledge that Willem Prinsloo made the best peach brandy in the district. Fritz Pretorius spoke to me of the difficulty brought about by Gritta's learning. Yes, young, he said. I'm feeling pretty shaky about talking to her, I can tell you. Eh? I've been rubbing up my education a bit, though. Yesterday I took out my old slate that I used when I left school 17 years ago, and I did a few sums. I did some addition 
and subtraction. I, I tried a little multiplication too, but I've forgotten how it is done. I told Fritz that I would like to have helped him, but I had never learnt as far as multiplication. The day the dance arrived, the postcard bearing Grita to her father's house passed through Drogedal in the morning. In the afternoon, I got dressed. I wore a, a black jacket, fawn trousers, and a pink shirt. I also put on the brown boots that I'd bought about a year before and that I'd never had occasion to wear. For I would have looked silly walking about the farm in a pair of shop boots when everybody else wore homemade feltskoons. I believed as I got on my horse and set off down the government road with my hat rakishly on one side that I would be easily the best-dressed young man at that dance. It was getting on towards sunset when I arrived at the foot of Abiatuskop, which I had to skirt in order to reach Willem Prinsloo's farm, nestling in a hollow behind the hills. I felt as I rode that it was stupid for a man to live in a part that was reputed to be haunted. The trees grew taller and denser, as they always do on the rising ground, and they also got a lot darker. All over the place were queer, heavy shadows. I did not like the look of them. I remembered stories I'd heard of the witches of Abiaterskoppen and what they did to travellers who lost their way in the dark. It seemed an easy thing to lose your way among those tall trees. Accordingly, I spurred my horse onto a gallop to get out of this gloomy region as quickly as possible. After all, a horse is sensitive about things like ghosts and witches, and it was my duty to see that my horse was not frightened unnecessarily, especially as a cold wind suddenly sprang up through the port, and once or twice it sounded as though an evil voice were calling my name. I started riding fast then. But a few moments later, I looked around and realized the position. It was Fritz Pretorius galloping along behind me. What? What was your hurry? Fritz asked when I had slowed down to allow his overtaking me. Oh, I wished to get through those trees before it was too dark. I didn't want my horse to get frightened. I suppose that's why you were riding with your arms around his neck, eh? To soothe him. I did not reply. But what I did notice was that Fritz was also very stylishly dressed. True, I beat him as far as shirt and boots went, but, but he was dressed in a new grey suit with his socks pulled up over the bottoms of his trousers. He also had a handkerchief which he ostentatiously took out of his pocket several times. Of course, I couldn't be jealous of a person like Fritz Pretorius. I was only annoyed at the thought that he was making himself ridiculous by going to a party with an outlandish thing like a, a handkerchief. We arrived at Willem Prinsloo's house. There were so many ox wagons drawn up on the felt that the place looked like a lager. Prinsloo met us at the door. Go through, Carols, he said. The dancing is in the fores. The peach brandy is in the kitchen. Although the fores was big, it was so crowded to make it almost impossible to dance. But it was not as crowded as the kitchen. 
nor was the music in the forays, which was provided by a number of men with guitars and concertinas, as loud as the music in the kitchen, where there was no band. <laughs> but each man sang for himself. We knew from these signs that the party was a success. When I'd been in the kitchen for about half an hour, I decided to go into the forays. It seemed a long way now from the kitchen to the forays, and I, I had to lean against the wall several times to think. I passed a number of other men who were also leaning against the wall like that, <laughs> thinking. One man even found that he could think best by sitting on the floor with his head in his arms. <laughs> you you can see that Willem Brinsley made good peach brandy. <laughs> then I saw Fritz Pretorius, and the sight of him brought me to my senses right away. Early flapping his white handkerchief in time with the music, he was talking to a girl who smiled up at him with bright eyes and red lips and small white teeth. I knew at once that it was Greta. She was tall and slender and very pretty, and her dark hair was braided with a wreath of white roses that you could see had been picked that morning in Zerist. And she didn't look the sort of girl either, in whose presence you had to appear clever and educated. In fact, I felt I wouldn't really need the twelve times table which I'd torn off the back of a school writing book and had thrust into my jacket pocket before leaving home. You can imagine that it was not too easy for me to get a word in with Rita while Fritz was hanging around. But I managed it eventually. And while I was talking to her, I had the satisfaction of seeing, out of the corner of my eye, the direction Fritz took. He went into the kitchen, flapping his handkerchief behind him, into the kitchen, where the laughter was, and the singing, and Willem Prinsloo's peach brandy. I told Griet that I was Skulk Lawrence. Oh, yes, I've heard of you from Fritz Pretorius. I knew what that meant, so I told her that Fritz was known all over the Mariko for his lies. I told her other things about Fritz. Ten minutes later, when I was still talking about him, Grita smiled and said that I could tell her the rest some other night. <laughs> but I must tell you one more thing now, I insisted. When he knew that he would be meeting you here at the dance, Fritz started doing homework. I told her about the slate and the sums, and Grita laughed softly. It struck me again how pretty she was, and her eyes were radiant in the candlelight, and the roses looked very white against her dark hair. And all this time the dancers whirled around us, and the band in the forays played lively dance tunes. And from the kitchen, they issued weird sounds of jubilation. The rest happened very quickly. 
I can't even remember how it all came about. But what I do know is that when we were outside under the tall trees with the stars over us, I could easily believe that Greta was not a girl at all, but one of the witches of Abjaterskop who wove strange spells. Yet, to listen to my talking, nobody would have guessed the wild, thrilling things that were in my heart. I told Greta about last year's drought and about the difficulty of keeping the white ants from eating through the door and window frames and about the way my new brown boots tended to take the skin off my toe if, if I walked quickly. Then I moved close up to her. Greta, I said, taking her hand. Greta, there is something I want to tell you. She pulled her hand away. She did it very gently, though, sorrowfully almost. I know what you want to say. I was surprised at that. How do you know, Greta? Oh, I know lots of things. <laughs> I haven't been to finishing school for nothing. I don't mean that, Greta. I wasn't going to talk about spelling or, or arithmetic. I was going to tell you that. Please don't say it, Skulk. I don't know whether I'm worthy of hearing it. I don't know even... But you're so lovely. I've got to tell you how lovely you are. But at that very moment, I stepped forward. She retreated swiftly, eluding me. Couldn't understand how she timed it so well. For try as I might, I couldn't catch her. She sped lightly and gracefully among the trees, and I, I followed as best I could. Yet it was not only my want of learning that handicapped me. There were also my new brown boots, and Willem Prince loose peach brandy, and the shaft of a mule cart. The lower end of the shaft, where it rests in the grass. Oh. I didn't fall very hard, though. The grass was long and thick there. But even as I fell, a great happiness came into my heart, and I didn't care about anything else in the world. Greta had stopped running. She turned around, and for an instant her body slender and misty in the shadows, swayed towards me. Then a hand flew to her hair, her finger pulled at the wreath, and the next thing I knew was that there lay, within the reach of my hand, a small white rose. I shall always remember the thrill with which I picked up that rose. And now I trembled when I stuck it into my hat. I shall always remember the stir I caused when I walked into the kitchen. Everybody stopped drinking to look at the rose in my hat. The young men made jokes about it. The older men winked slyly and patted me on the back. And although Fritz Pretorius was not in the kitchen to witness my triumph, I knew he would get to hear of it somehow. That would make him realize that it was impudence for a fellow like him to set himself up as Skulk Lawrence's arrival. <laughs> During the rest of the night, I 
was a hero. The men in the kitchen made me sit on the table. They plied me with brandy and drank to my health. And afterwards, when a dozen of them carried me outside on, on, onto an ox wagon for fresh air, they fell with me only once. At daybreak, I was still on that wagon. I, I, I woke up feeling very sick until I remembered about Grita's rose. There was that white rose, still stuck in my hat, for the whole world to know that Grita Prinsloo had chosen me before all other men. But what I didn't want people to know was that I'd remained asleep on that ox wagon hours after the other guests had gone. So I, I rode away very quietly, gladly that nobody was astir to see me go. My head was dizzy as I rode, but in my heart it felt like green wings beating. And although it was day now, there was the same soft wind in the grass that had been there when Gita flung the rose at me, standing under the stars. I rode slowly through the trees on the slope of a Beaterskop and had reached the place where the path turned south again, when I saw something that made me wonder if, at these fashionable finishing schools, they did not perhaps teach the girls too much. First, I saw Fritz Petorius's horse by the roadside. Then I saw Fritz. He was sitting up against a thorn tree with his chin resting on his knees. He looked very pale and sick. But what made me wonder much about these finishing schools was that in Fritz's hat, which had fallen on the ground some distance away from him, there was a small white rose. Well, that's it from the Waffle Free Storytelling Podcast. Thank you so much, David, for taking part. If you want all the waffle, including that interview with David, and some translations if you need a hand, then drop down to the show notes or visit www.tinaconstant.com. It will be really good to see you there. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy this mad, crazy, wild planet. Uh, love the people you love and uh, forgive everybody else. <laughs> okay, I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.